13 through 16 in a message entitled Welcoming the Word of God. And we saw absolutely that God's Word is God's Word. It's written in truth. It's not the Word of men. And I just really, really, really would encourage you if that's something that you struggle with to either pick up that CD out in the foyer or you go online to uh, radiorefuge.net or refugechurch.info or you can download our church podcast which is Refuge Church of Atascadero and listen to that message um, because we really went through a lot of things that, that just, you know, bear witness and the confirmations that God's word is God's word. We're not called to a blind faith. It is a step of faith, but actually it's God's word confirmed through prophetic utterance and so many other things. We also saw last week when we receive God's word, when we welcome it into our life, it effectively works in our life to grow us in the Lord, to renew our mind, to absolutely abound fruits of the Spirit in our life. And then we also saw that there are individuals that forbid and come against the proclamation of the Word of God. It was the case in Judea, it was the case in Thessalonica, and it is the case even in North County and in the world today. And we saw, though, that the Lord is gracious to these people, giving them time to repent, giving them time to turn to the Lord, But the more they shun God's grace and mercy, the more they heap up the wrath of God. And if their sin runs its course without coming to the Lord, we saw that the wrath of God will be poured out on those folks, even all the more to the uttermost that stumble others from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not just groups, individuals that are being addressed in that. Something that absolutely should, you know what, Grow a fear of God in our hearts and so forth, understanding God's great reverence for his scriptures. Well, this morning here, we're going to look at verse 17 through 20, the Lord willing, entitled the message, The Brotherhood, the Battle, and the Second Coming. And first, we're going to see the brotherhood. And you can say the sisterhood, the brotherhood, the family of God, the fact that we're called to love one another, to fellowship with one another, and the fact that we need to endeavor to fellowship with one another because absolutely Satan wants to hinder that our flesh oftentimes resists that we're more prone to look out for ourselves first and foremost but we're going to see this call to endeavor to fellowship and we're going to see blessings found in that and we're also going to see how to grow in that how to get our hearts renewed I think if we just say hey we're going to endeavor to fellowship we see the command but we're going to see some tools to help us to abound in our love for one another and how that's even measured again we already touched on it but we're going to see we have an adversary named satan who absolutely wants to hinder us and our fellowship with one another our walks with the lord our witness and so forth so we'll talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and look at how we combat him in the lord jesus christ and then we'll close with paul really rejoicing in the truth that jesus is coming soon and though paul was absent from the presence of those in thessalonica At the coming of the Lord, we're going to be in his presence, and all in Christ will be in presence of one another. And we have a great hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our time here is short, but our future absolutely is wonderful in him, and there's great hope found in that. There's great joy found in that, and there's even great crowns found in endeavoring to fellowship with one another and to minister to one another. Crowns aren't stored up in selfish living They're stored up and abounding in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a little where we've been, where we're going. Let's read the text here together and dive into this. It says in verse 17, But we, brethren, 
having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you, you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Now notice here the first three words, how Paul addresses them. And there's this great truth, something we want to consider as we start talking about fellowship. He says, but we, brethren. Listen, in Christ Jesus this morning, let me ask you, are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Can you say amen to that? And we know we're saved by his grace through faith in him. We need to know and understand when we come to Christ, we inherit and we become members of a massive family of others that have put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called in that to minister to one another, to love one another, to endure to fellowship with one another. And that's what Paul is speaking to here in this text. He speaks to this oftentimes in the letters to the Thessalonians and to the other epistles that he wrote. And this is so good on so many levels. First of all, I know that there are many people that when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a rift that is created with those in their natural family that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ because the whole worldview changes. You come to the Lord and now you're under the grace of God. You're grafted into relationship with the Lord. Those outside of Christ, we'll see this morning, they're under the sway of the wicked one. Before we came to him, we were children of wrath. We thought in the way that people that don't know the Lord think, when we come to him, again, we get grafted in and God wants to begin to change the way that we think. And now this isn't something that, again, that we rejoice in and we say, oh, I'm finally done with those folks. Listen, we want to strive to try to fellowship. We want to strive to try to win them to Christ, to show them our Christianity, to love them, to even know when they sever relationships. And remember the Lord said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Jesus is the great divider, really. He's the unifier to God, but there's a division that comes with him. And he even talks about rifts and families and so forth that happens when those come to Jesus Christ who come to him and bend knee to him. They have different gods then. And though that's a sad thing, and again, though we want to pray for those folks and try to strive to minister to them and love to them, there's a lot of people that Christ is an aroma of death. And they're going to push you away. I know it's happened to many in this room. They've experienced that and so forth. There's some places in the world, even in our country, there are some families, when you come to the Lord, they say, you're done. We're done with you. We're not talking to you. We're not going to look at you. We don't want to listen to you. Others don't say it, but they act like it, right? But listen, this is a wonderful thing. Jesus said in Matthew, well, the riff isn't necessarily wonderful, but it's wonderful what the Lord said in Matthew 19, 29. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And we got to know that this morning. There's a hundredfold blessing in this room in our fellowship with one another, being grafted into the family of God. And the Lord really wants us to get this. He really wants us to understand this, that when we talk about the brotherhood, 
when we talk about being children of God, when we talk about a spiritual family, that it's not a small matter, it's a huge matter. And it's a glorious thing, and it's a good thing, and it's something we should thank the Lord for. It's something that we should strive to abound in, to appreciate, to strive to minister to one another, to love one another. Again, throughout the scripture, this verbiage is reiterated of the family of God. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Again, before we came to the Lord, we're called children of wrath. Through Jesus Christ, faith in him, we're grafted into the family of God. We are called children of God. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, 48, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sisters and mother. And this was said when his natural mother and brothers and sisters were knocking on the door saying, Jesus, we need to take you back because you think you're the Messiah and we don't think that you are. Later on, they would realize he was the Messiah when he would resurrect from the dead. But the Lord makes a great statement here. What's his first will? That we would believe in him. And we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then 1 Peter 2, 17, and we want to graph this into what we're looking at and build on it. It says, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So again, we're grafted into the brotherhood, you could say the sisterhood, the family of God. We're grafted in and we're called to strive to love the brotherhood. Paul's doing that in this letter. He's striving to love the brotherhood, endeavoring to fellowship, understanding that Satan wants to hinder that, understanding that again, it's an endeavoring that's time and again, as he says here to fellowship with one another. And we'll talk more about what comes with that. But we need to ask the question right now, what's that fellowship supposed to look like? You know, we're told to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we're told to love our neighbor as ourself. And we need to ask the question, what is that love? Because I think if we begin to, you know what, pull the man on the street, so to speak, and we would ask, even if you ask Christians, what does loving your neighbor look like in the body of Christ? What does loving your brother and sister in the Lord look like? I think we would get a whole host of answers that would range from the far left that would say, listen, uh, it's, allow, it's, it's just going with doing as you will and you know, kind of this uh, all things are lawful, which they are, but they're not all profitable. And so love is just do whatever you want. Don't judge anything and so forth. Though the Bible says that we are to test all things. And then I think over here on the other side, you would get people in extreme legalism that would say, I'm loving others by telling them they have to comb their hair like me, dress like me, and just be like, be like me to be right with God, right? And they add all this stuff to the scripture. Some people think that's love. Other people think this just do as thou will attitude or what we feel or what we think is love. And actually, neither of those are a definition of love. And I think, again, as we go out further on both sides, we get all these different definitions, This is what the scripture says, though. Again, loving our brothers and sisters starts with loving the Lord. If you're not loving the Lord, if you're not walking in the first commandment, there's no way we're going to fulfill the second. But the measuring stick, or how we know if we're doing either one, is actually the same thing. Jesus said in John 15, 9, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And then we see what that looks like in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the measuring stick of love is God's word. Are we walking according to the word of God? 
Are we walking with the heart and mind of the Lord? Are we doing what God has called us to do at the minimum, striving to do the things God wants us to do? Listen, we, God knows we're but dust. God knows practically we fall short at times. But part of what he's called us to do is to have a humble heart, a yielded heart, to keep short accounts with him, to say, Lord, I need your help in this. I want to walk according to your scripture. That's even having a heart to want to walk in the love of God. But if you're saying, I like Jesus as, as my Lord and Savior, but I want to do as I will. I don't need the word of God. You're not walking in the love of the Lord, and you need to know that. Also, you need to know if that's your heart and your mindset, and that's the heart and mindset of a lot of people that say Jesus is their Lord. You're not going to love anyone around you. And again, it seems there's a lot of emphasis today on loving others with a lack of emphasis on loving the Lord, and again, a complete abandonment in so many places of what love looks like. But if you're not abounding in him, you're not going to be able to walk in the second commandment without the first. And 1 John 5, 2 says this, but this we know, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So again, what's the measuring stick that I'm loving my brothers and sisters? Well, it's I'm loving the Lord. And how do I know if I'm doing that? I'm walking according to his word. That's my heart and my mind. Listen, if you're shacking up with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you might think I'm in love with them. You're not loving them biblically. Because biblically, God has called you to abstain from sexual fornication and the appearance of evil. He's called us to enter into holy matrimony, one man and one woman, absolutely on the foundation of the Lord. That's love. The other thing is lust. The other thing is not love. You're like, but I'm in love with them. You're not showing them the love of God then. You just aren't. And we can apply this across the board. You know what? Uh, what's the Lord called us to do? That's when we know we're walking in love. Now, we need to ask on top of this, well, how do we abound in that love? Because this does not come naturally. What's natural is for us to appease our five senses, to do as we will, you know, to, 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 to follow what we deem is right and what's wrong, to love ourselves. Again, we're called to love God, we're called to love others. You're gonna see nowhere in scripture where it says, thou shalt love thyself. You know why? Because we all do. It comes natural to us. I know I hear people sometimes, I can really start loving God and others because I've learned to love myself. Now it's true, we may not like ourselves. There's things about ourselves we don't like, but that's even all the more of a measurement that we love ourselves because we're so obsessed what we don't like about ourselves. The Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, he didn't say, and learn to love yourself. We naturally already love ourselves. That's not the problem. We need to learn to die to ourselves to love the Lord and to love others. So how do we do that? Well, again, love God, love others. How do we do that? It starts from him and learning about how much he loves us us the emphasis has to be on jesus jesus said or the word says in first john four nineteen, we love him because he first loved us and the more we are going to abound in loving him back and loving others we need to learn more of his love for us learn more of him absolutely god is love and so the nearer we get to the lord the nearer we get to real love the more we know about the lord not just about him but know him, getting to know the God of the word through the word of God, not just head knowledge, but heart relationship. The more, again, we 
come to him, the more we are going to love him. And from that, we're going to flow out loving others. But it has to come in obedience and yielding to the word of truth. Again, 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And if we want to give him glory, and if we want to, uh, you know what, give him honor forever, then that's going to come when we grow in the knowledge of our Lord. The more we learn about his love, the more we draw near to him, the more we will walk in his heart and mind and reflect him. Now notice as well, he says, but we brethren, and then he says, haven't been taken away from you for a short time in presence. And we've talked about this throughout the epistle. We see in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 17, where Paul went to Thessalonica. Bunch of people got saved, a church was birthed, and then there were jealous, you know what, religious folks that didn't, you know what, like the idea of salvation by grace through faith. And they began to persecute Paul. Paul was driven out of town. Paul was deemed a criminal. He was deemed a troublemaker. Listen, if you're going to follow the Lord, there's going to be some people that deem you a troublemaker. Has that ever happened to anyone in the room here? We're going to be called that by some folks. He was driven out. He was separated. And yet they sent Timothy back to minister to get a report. They brought that to Paul. But there was a separation now between Paul and those in Thessalonica. And this is something that, you know, it is grieving Paul's heart. He's longing to fellowship with them. We got to understand this goes back to the garden. We got to understand that that separation between us and God and even with ones we love and so forth, it's an unnatural thing. This is why it stings and it hurts and it's so painful when people who we love pass away when they die because it's unnatural. We weren't created for death. We were created for life. God made man in a perfect state, man had a perfect relationship with God. And remember, God gave one command. If you eat of the tree of the good knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And the word death, it implies separation. There's going to be a separation between me and you. And we know how the account goes. The serpent came along, began to question God's word. Man shunned God's word. And in that, he shunned that love relationship with God. Separation set up between God and, or man and God. And Adam and Eve, before that, had the perfect marriage. They didn't even need a marriage conference or anything else to help. They had a perfect marriage. And immediately, what do we see after fall? We see the first fight of a married couple recorded in the history of the world. Adam and Eve riffing, blaming one another for them eating, you know, of the tree. A separation. And this is why, again, when there's separation, when there's death, it's so painful. Because God created us for life. And Paul practically is separated from them. It's grieving his heart, and he's longing for a fellowship. Now listen, we are living in a culture that is very transient, where people come and they go. I've been, most of you guys know, I mean, I've been a, a pastor for uh, 20 years, uh, ministry in the, in the community for about 25 years. And I would say about every seven years, there's almost a turnover in our fellowship. And it's not people leaving to go other places. I mean, the Lord's blessed us in a, in, a, in a great manner in that sense, but people just moving away, coming, being there for a time. I know we live in the fifth most expensive place to live in the United States of America with the cost of living and the low wage, and so I think it affects us a little bit more. But the transient culture. And I think on top of that, you look around and 
you see, again, as Satan is wanting to hinder that fellowship, um, he's wanting to hinder fellowship with one another through even a digital age where people are prone to take a smartphone, which can be so good and good things can be done in it, but to go in a corner for six, seven, eight hours a day and just be on that thing and not really interact with other people. And why does that appeal? Because again, that carnal nature. If I don't face people, I'm not vulnerable. I might not get hurt and so forth. But God is calling us to that. He's wanting to hinder that. And there's this separation between Paul and those in Thessalonica. And Paul's grieved over it. We're in a culture where it seems like this is ingrained. And it's something that whether we know it or not is affecting us. It's affecting us as people. It's affecting, you know what, listen, and I don't want to pick on any particular generation, but some of these generations, and we'll just leave it at that, have a real difficult time interacting with others. Have you noticed that? And, and how many older folks want to cast stones and all those snowflakes? They haven't been trained properly by the further, the generation before them. Let's kick around some millennials. How about the people that raised those kids? And just said, you know what, you can go home and play video games all day, and I'm just going to do my own deal over here. It's ingrained in it, or Satan wants to hinder it. And then, then again, there's the separation when one passes away. But, but there's hope in the Lord. Because, listen, whether it's here, there, or in the air, life is short here, but we got eternity with him there. And this brotherhood that we have is going to be an eternal one of the Lord Jesus Christ. So get used to those around you and start loving them now because you're going to be with them forever. But it's all a short time. It's all a short time, whether it's Paul separated from those in Thessalonica for a short time and him writing letters. It's even a short time in this digital age that we're living in where there's separations. There's some people you love that they're just not interested, right? And it's a short time again with our brothers and sisters that pass away, life's a vapor, life's a hand breath. Life comes and it goes. Psalm 39, 14, Lord, make me know my end and what is the ma- measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. We're a frail people. Indeed, you have made my days as a hand breath, my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man is his best state as a vapor. Selah, or think about that. It's short. And this is why Paul's even talking about the coming of the Lord in this, knowing, yes, we're separated now, We need to endeavor fellowship now, but my joy, my hope, my crown is the fact that Jesus is coming soon, and then we will be with him forever. And so if we're going to be with him forever there in fellowship, in perfect fellowship, don't we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We need to strive in that today. And again, the foundation of it is the word of God. When you're shunning God's word for the sake of unity, you're no longer loving God and you're not loving your brother and sister. And a lot of the unity talk today is all about compromising God's word. And that's actually bringing disunity. But when we embrace the word, there's going to be a supernatural. Now notice as well, Paul says that he's absent and present, but not in heart. And this isn't Paul getting weird here. This is Paul proclaiming a great truth and comfort. We're called to carry one another in our heart. It's okay if you got loved ones that have passed away to carry them in your heart. You should do that. Now, don't start talking to them because we're appointed to die once then the judgment. And if you're talking to a loved one, you're actually talking to a demon. And I say that not to burst anyone's bubble, but to tell you truth. There's something called familiar spirits that know everything about us and composes Uncle Bob and know everything about the time you and him went to Magic Mountain and did that, rode the roller coasters and everything else. 
We're forbidden to talk to the dead because you're actually talking to demons. But carrying them on our heart, you know what, is a wonderful thing. A brother or sister that, you know what, is a cross country or whatever. And that's where social media can be a blessing of texting and fellowshipping that way and so forth. But to carry one another in our hearts. And now notice again, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate God. And Paul in this saying, you're on my heart. He's saying, imitate me, have others on your heart, but this is all imitating the Lord because, listen, we're always on his heart. Isn't that awesome? In Exodus, on Wednesday nights, we just finished it, but we talked about the breastplate that the high priest wore to the Holy of Holies. And on that breastplate was inscribed all the tribes of Israel, and he carried them on his heart before the Lord. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest And Jesus Christ always carries us on his heart. So with this, we are called again to carry one another on our hearts. And in carrying one another on our hearts, it is to then lift them up to the Lord in intercessory prayer. He says here in 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing. I remember you in prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So Paul told Timothy, I think about you night and day, and in that I pray for you, in that I lift you up to the Lord, and in that I long to see you for pure, good Christian fellowship. And so again, it is a rejoicing in that. Out of presence, but in the heart, and also in the heart, as again, we'll talk about the coming of the Lord here shortly, knowing the Lord is coming very, very soon. And at that point, we're going to have the ultimate family reunion. Scripture talks about this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we always shall be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. There's a family reunion coming. Are you ready for it? And it's going to be better than any family reunion you've ever been to. There's going to be no backbiting, no gossiping, no, you know what, borrowing money that you never see again, and so on and so forth, you know? There's going to be none of that. And then also here, again, he says, But we, brethren, have been taken away from you from a short time in presence, but not in heart. And then notice what he says, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even Paul, time and again. Paul said, we endeavored. We made an effort to fellowship. It wasn't a one-time effort. It was time and again. And one thing we need to know, if we're going to love God, if we're going to love our brothers, we've been called to fellowship with one another. People that start telling me, I love God, but I don't go to church, listen, that's an oxymoron there. The scripture says we're supposed to be in fellowship. We're supposed to be walking in what he's called us to walk in. Again, is not the standard God's commands. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the Lord's coming, he says, all the more endeavor to fellowship with one another. 
And again, that's what Paul is doing here. He knew there needed to be an effort to seek after fellowship because naturally it is easy for us to love ourselves and shun fellowship. To say, well, I got my toes stepped on so I'm not going back or someone did me wrong and I got stabbed in the back so I'm done with Christian fellowship. Have you not read about our Lord? His own disciples forsook him when he was put on the cross. But praise God, he continued to endeavor to fellowship with us. This is why we are called to be long-suffering with one another. We're called to be patient with one another. And you got to know, if you're in that place where you're like, I was offended, I'm taking my ball and going home, that is not for your embitterment. That is not going to bring eternal crowns upon your head. That is not loving the Lord. That is not loving the body of Christ. Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and rages against all wise judgment. Paul endeavored to see them. Listen, Paul wanted to minister to them. Paul had gifts that God had given to him. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? Can you say amen to that? God has given you gifts to minister to one another. Listen, just the gift of Christian fellowship, just the, the, the gift of, a, of, of you know what, a, a handshake, a smile, a hug, a, a, the, the gift of encouraging someone this morning, praying with one another, just that gift of fellowship. Then the gift of using our gifts to minister to one another, to share our lives, our resources with one another. Paul talks about wanting to see them, and he says in part, 1 Thessalonians uh, 3 9 is in the next chapter what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith Paul said we were endeavoring to minister to you and then also in that chapter in verse 6 he says greatly desire you are greatly desiring to see us and us also to see you just in the fellowship of being like-minded in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys, but it seems as, as time is unfolding, there's fewer and fewer people out there that, that have a biblical mindset. And though I want to try to befriend these folks, I want to win them to Jesus, I don't always enjoy that fellowship. But there's a wonderful thing with brothers and sisters in the Lord that again, say our standard's the word of God when we come together in fellowship. Listen, it's enjoyable. Yesterday we had the work day out here and 20, 30 guys. And listen, uh, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Uh, so one man another. We got started. There are a few little sparks that flew and whatnot. And then we got going and everything got going. And, and listen, to see men fellowshipping together, shoveling together, eating together. You know, there's something that happens when guys get together and build stuff. And when they build it in Jesus' name, there's a, there's a fellowship there. And I really believe strongly this is in part the reason why, uh, the, the, you know, one of the reasons why the Lord put us in this property, in this place, because when I started here, there was no infrastructure built here whatsoever. There was a building on three acres of nothing. And over the last 20 years, we've had work days and work days and work days. I'm like, well, after this one, we're going to be done. And then there's another work day. But God has used it. I've seen guys get grafted into to, to church through that and get friends and acquaintances and, and, and jobs and employees and 
just the fellowship of breaking bread together. The women's retreat last weekend. We have about 80 women up there and just all the stories of the fellowship and women getting to know each other and praying for each other and that, that unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wednesday nights have been just so blessed over the last two months or so since we started that meal before the service. And you see people breaking bread and getting to know each other. And they're just, I just see a love growing for one another. And I'm thinking, man, all of this over sweet and sour chicken? <laughs> the Bible talks about eating together. Listen, when we go to heaven at the rapture, one of the first things we're going to do is eat. We're going to get together. And like, people, I thought we were ghosts floating around. Listen, Jesus, after his resurrection, they could touch him, fill him, he ate. It's going to be a natural body that's a spiritual body. Then he walked through a wall, and you're like, ooh, trip out on that, you know? And our bodies are going to be likened to his. And so we got to endeavor for this fellowship. There's some, again, that endeavor to avoid it. And we don't want that to be our, you know, to us, because it will be to our demise here. But listen, it's also going to be to our demise there, because Paul talks about them being his crown. Crowns, eternal crowns, are not earned Again, we're saved by grace through faith. Let's get that straight. But the Bible talks about eternal rewards, eternal crowns. They are not earned when we isolate ourselves in the corner. They are not earned in selfish living. They are earned when we love the Lord and we love one another. That's why, again, we'll talk about it in a second. But Paul says, you are my crown, my hope, my joy. Us in the presence of the Lord. This is my crown. So again, he wanted to come to them. He endured time and again, but Satan, he says, hindered us. And I just put wow in my notes. Satan hindered this. This is God's will, but Satan was hindering it. Who is this Satan? Who is this character? Isaiah 14 tells us originally his name was Lucifer, God's most glorious creation, and that wasn't good enough for him. Lust birthed in his heart to want to be above God, and then he acted on it, and that doesn't work well. Though he still has access to heaven to accuse us, that day is coming, you know, to close soon. The Bible says he became the God of this world. And the whole world outside of Christ is under his sway. We know from there he tempted man, as we already touched on, and said, if you eat of the tree, you won't die, you'll be like God. He used the same lie he fell with to tempt man. And man said, I want to be my own God. Didn't listen to the word of God. Didn't take his thought captive. Should have said, wait a minute, God said in his word, if we eat of the tree, we're going to die. We're going to put that thought down. Instead, he rolled with it. And again, he broke God's command and separation came. There wasn't love for the Lord and then him and his wife. And then they raised the two kids come and, you know, we don't even need to get into that. So he tempted man, praise God. The Lord promised a Savior who would crush the serpent's head. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's the only way to have right relationship with God. To be righteous with God is through Christ, who lived a sinless life, died for our sins, and made the way of salvation and forgiveness to whoever would humble the heart and call on him and ask him to be the Lord of their life. Aren't you glad God shows no partiality? Whoever calls on his name. And so in the meantime, Satan's a, a liar. John 10, 10, Jesus says about Satan, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and may have it more abundantly. He wants to steal souls. He wants to steal glory. He wants to be revered and honored and feared that all belongs to God Almighty. And if he can't steal your soul, then he wants to steal your crowns. And so he's trying to hinder Paul. 
trying to hinder this fellowship. But Paul didn't say, oh, well, it's not going to happen. Paul endeavored. Paul prayed. Paul said, you ain't, you're not going to get my crown. Paul understood that he was in a spiritual war. We need to know that as well. And part of the evidences of this war is, again, our own flesh and the enemy of our soul wanting to hinder us from real Bible-based, Jesus-centered Christian fellowship. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all the stand. That's a battle. The Bible says that we are soldiers of Christ in 2 Timothy 2.3. And so it says a good soldier doesn't get entangled with the affairs of the life of this world. He's about, again, those that have enlisted him, he's about their business. The same needs to be with us. We need to be about his business. Later on in this chapter of Ephesians 6, it talks about our offensive weapons, which is the word of God and prayer. See how this all goes together? Love, the word of God, prayer, fellowship with the Lord, being about his business. That's really what walking in the spirit is. That's how we engage in that battle. Now, a couple other notes, and we'll close out on our last point here. But notice here, Satan's hindering them. And, and God could have snuffed that out at any time. That No doubt, and they're endeavoring, they're praying, they can have that fellowship. But we need to understand this. There are times when the Lord uses Satan to bring about his plans. Where he uses Satan just as his puppet. Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about a messenger of Satan who was sent to buffet his body. To attack his physical health. And I've heard some people criticize Paul. He didn't have enough faith. If I would have been there, I would have rebuked the devil. You don't know what you're talking about if you're thinking that. Three times Paul prayed that that messenger of Satan would depart. And God said, no. God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul's body. And we say, how, why in the world would God do that? Well, listen, when you write two-thirds of the New Testament outside of the gospel, it's easy to get a fat, prideful head. And God allowed that messenger of Satan to buffet him so he would see that he was weak and that Paul all the more would be dependent upon God day after day after day after day. And he says that my strength is perfected in that weakness as he would cry out to God, Lord, you help me be dependent upon him. And as, this, as Satan was hindering that fellowship, look what's coming out. He's hindering him, but look at all this prayer that's coming out. Look at this love for one another coming out. God was using it to abound them in the Lord. And so we got to know even in the warfare, God wants to use it for his glory, for our good. But we got to endeavor. Listen, don't engage in the battle. You know, get stung a bit and then go hide. You're in the war no matter what. Let's soldier up in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in his strength and might and power. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And then also let's know that, listen, Satan, he's on the losing side. The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels who fell. A third of the angels tried to ascend and overthrow God as well. The Bible says in Revelation 20.10, 
The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and they will be tormented night and day forever and ever. So we know their fate, but let me ask you, do you know your fate? Listen, in Christ Jesus, you're saved to the uttermost. But if you want to reject him and walk in the light of the enemy to be your own God, to do as thou wilt, that's the motto of Satanism, and it's actually the motto of anyone that's not following the Lord. They're doing what they want to do whenever they want to do it, whether it's, you know, a life of debauchery or it's religion or whatever it is, we got to come to Jesus Christ. And when we bend knee to him, we're saying, Lord, do as thou wilt in my life, not as I want to do. But if you reject him, again, then you're on that same side. Revelation 20, 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And this is why I cannot encourage you enough. If you have not come to the Lord, to come to him, Hebrews 7, 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And it says, always lives to make intercession for them. Come to him and he will wash you. And this day, he will save you to the uttermost, being covered by the perfect life of Jesus Christ. Is that not good news? Finally here, and we touched on a lot of this on our last point here. He says, Satan hindered us. And then in verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Hope's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Joy's a wonderful thing. Nehemiah 8, 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eternal crowns are a wonderful, wonderful thing. In, in, in Revelation, we see the elders take their crowns and they put it at the feet of Jesus. And they glorify the Lord in those crowns. We have opportunity to, again, Earn those eternal crowns. Again, we don't earn our salvation. We always make that clear. We're saved by grace through faith. But then are we going to walk in our Christianity? 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may attain it. And everyone who competes for a prize is temperate in all things. But now they... But, and now they do not obtain a perishable, now they obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So in other words, he says, be about the business of the Lord to obtain an imperishable crown, an imperishable crowns. And Paul's rejoicing here because he's saying, you're our hope, our joy, and you are our crown of rejoicing. When the Lord comes back and we're in his presence, you are going to be my crown. Because Paul knew that they came to the Lord in part because of the ministry that God had given to Paul. And again, crowns, hear this this morning. Crowns are not earned through living for yourself. Crowns are earned through living for the Lord and others and denying self. So if you shun Christian fellowship, you're like, I love the Lord, but I shun all that. And you go and you just live for yourself and look out for yourself and you take your ball and go home and you think you're justified because someone hurt your feelings, it's to your demise. The Lord said to forgive one another. That's his commandment, right? To be long-suffering with one another. To be patient. Doesn't mean we tolerate sin. Doesn't mean we enable sin. 
doesn't mean we don't call out false doctrine or false teaching. Listen, that's part of iron sharpening iron. Hopefully we're all in a place where we're teachable and correctable in the Lord. Can we say amen to that? But Paul says, you're my crown of rejoicing. My crown's going to be when the Lord comes back, you're there because the Lord gave me a call to minister to you. And again, it all goes back to the glory of the Lord. And again, in verse 20, he reiterates, you're our glory and our joy. I'm going to tell you, you want to have more joy in your heart, joy in your life? Endeavor to fellowship with others. You want to get rid of joy? Go hide in a corner and be focused in on yourself. There's so many people walking around with deep clouds of depression over them, and there can all be all kinds of different causes for that. But a lot of it just goes back to self-focus. Me, 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 me. It's true. And our culture, again, Satan wants to hinder our joy. And what he puts out is, live for me, 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 me. He says, listen, abound in that loving yourself. Abound in doing what you want. He wants to come against loving the Lord and loving others. One last note here. He says in 19, Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Jesus is coming. The Bible said in the last days there'll be mockers and scoffers, and mockers and scoffers abound. Listen, you're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not only is there great criticism in the world, but there are many people in the so-called Christian church that are hostile when you start talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. There are so-called Christian leaders that don't lead me that say you should not even talk about prophecy or the coming of the Lord. How can you not talk about prophecy and the coming of the Lord if you're not reading your Bible? It's all about the coming of the Lord. And it's not that we're not so heavily minded that we can't be of earthly good. The more we know he's coming, the more we should be about his business. To know life is short. I'm not called here to live for me. I'm called to live for him. But he is coming back very, very, very soon. And I know that. You know why? Because Jesus said he is. And he also talks about signs, and we're going to get more into that and deeper in our study in Thessalonians. We talked about it some week, last week. Remember just there, I think it's in Matthew 24, 10, where he says, many will be offended and hate one another. Boy, welcome to our day. So many people, that's their gospel. I'm offended, so I'm righteous. You don't agree with me. I'm, right. I'm offended, so look at me. Aren't I so much better than you? Man, if that's your gospel, you better die to that because that's going to damn a soul to hell. Our gospel better be, I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ, you're my Lord and Savior. But Jesus said in Revelation 3.11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have. Hear this, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. You're going to get tatted up in heaven, I guess. (laughs) And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we have an ear to hear? Lord, give us an ear to hear, amen? We need it. Let's stand up and pray.
close in worship here. Heavenly Father, we love you, God. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you first loved us. Lord, help us, God, to abound in fellowship with you and give us unction to endure and, Lord, to Lord, pursue fellowship, godly fellowship with one another. Lord, let us be found a people yielded to your heart and your mind, yielded to your word. This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard the good, you've heard the bad news. Boy, that bad news stings, doesn't it? Some of you might be standing there right now stung. God's words expose the fact we're sinners and we're damned to hell. That stings, boy, a lot of people run and left offended and so forth. Listen, we're not singling you out. That's all of us outside of Jesus Christ. This is a room full of sinners. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He lived the righteous life that we could not live. He died for us. He rose from the grave and defeated sin, death, and Satan. That if you humble your heart and truly ask Jesus to be your Lord, which means you are repenting, you're turning from whatever your Lord is, you're turning from doing as thou wilt to say, Jesus, I want your will to be done in my life according to your word. The Bible says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. I hope we can all say that's us this morning. And if you can't, call on him right now. Ask him to be your Lord right now get in the word begin to pray get into this fellowship we're talking about here of christians and brothers and sisters in the word of god and he will begin a good work in you he will be faithful to complete it we love you lord we praise you lord bless our worship to you right now we ask these things in your name let's worship the lord May fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. My heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the day and night, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I lift my eyes. Open my heart, I will.
counselors to come up. Listen, if you need prayer this morning, come up. If you gave your life to the Lord this morning, we want to encourage you in Him. Come up. We want to put a Bible in your hands um, and uh, just encourage you to bless someone before you leave today. Lord, bless our fellowship. Amen? Amen. So God bless you guys.